Johnny. God almighty. This is the Sweat Echoey Podcast. I'm your host, Law Smith. We are recording this from the, uh, as we, we like to call it, the Cigar City Studios in the uh, Toco Works office, my company. Uh, you need some digital nerd shit? We're, we're who you call. Um, I'll explain it to you in real terms, unlike other nerds. I'll, I'll talk about this nerd rage I had the other day uh, in a second. But before I bring in our guest, um, check us out on the Laughable app. This is a new app that came out kind of within the comedy community. Since I am a comedian as well, um, I'm able to be listed on there. So the idea with the Laughable app is uh, you download it, and then you tag all the comedians you like. So you like me. And I'm, I end up going on uh, my buddy Nick Snaps, Make It Snappy podcast. It'll give you, like, it won't push a notification. It's just when you open up the app, it'll give you that, like, hey, hey, Lal was over here on this one. You want to listen to him talk about productivity and lean, lean strategies? Um, <laughs> Six Sigma shit? Well, there you go. I'm on Nick Snaps podcast. So um, make sure to download that. It's kind of an upstart app. I heard about it through... Uh, through uh burt kreischer and his podcast uh who is the pride of uh tampa jesuit as am i uh, <laughs> um uh, although i'll never really i'll never really claim that i'll i'll just let burt claim that and um it's it, i think ari shafir's got some skin on that some big comedians kind of pulled in and they they i think have some investment in it and if you don't like that, that's fine. That's not your thing. You're, you're more of an iTunes person. Either one, give us a five-star review, write a little review, and then uh, you know that's how we kind of geek up the rankings. So this is kind of a business. The idea of this show is kind of businessy. I'm going to try to throw some dick jokes in every now and again, but uh, just to keep it kind of fun because some of this stuff, when we get really in-depth in some areas, it, I can feel a lot of people drifting out. Um, I like the minutiae of business. I like some of the like curiosity things, but this podcast is about motivation or, you know, goal setting or what you want to do or what you fucked up on just general small business kind of talk. So with that being said, our guest sitting here watching me do this intro, which is very awkward when someone's in the room, I'm not trying to make eye contact you with look you good, bro. <laughs> while I'm doing it is, uh, Old buddy of mine and uh, attorney and owner of uh, Hillsborough Defense, uh, Brett Metcalf. I'm just here for the dick jokes. Get closer to that robot m- microphone dick. All, yeah. all up in my See? face, now right? You got, there we now go. you can Yay, hear it. This I is am. your first podcast. Right so on. if you start, some people just start drifting away like this. I'll just say, hey, let's, let's bring it in a little closer. Uh, this is a very informal podcast, as you can guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I've already used the word dick once. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, you don't have to be – it's weird, man. The PR era is kind of – I thought we dealt with it when you and I were, were 90s kids, right? Remember PC was kind of a big deal when we were, like, in fifth grade, 95? A little bit. Well, I feel like it was, it was kind of – I thought that was the peak. But now we're in this weird confluence of super PC and then super, like, <laughs> not – not PC because of the PC movement. So you have like um, lots have, of loud competing factors on both sides. Well, you have like Milo Yiannopoulos, right. like just that's the I'd say like that's the antithesis of like I'm just gonna challenge everybody's kind of freedom of speech and stuff, and or or I'm gonna ex- 
I'm just going to challenge people in the way they feel about how they hear certain trigger words. Uh, as a comedian, I'm always I'm always on the Abby um, Abby Hoffman side. The I'm always a first amendment guy, and I always think like, you know, I know it from doing stand up that sometimes you say a word, people aren't paying a, really paying attention, and it's harder than ever to get everybody's attention. But if I say a word and people don't hear me, don't hear the whole setup to the joke, they just hear the word. Uh, let me give you an, for instance. Um, like I used to say, like, um, uh, I don't have any black friends. This is like a corny setup. Sometimes you do, you got to do these like short sets where you just need to do jokes before you can get into the fun ones. Uh, sometimes like the crowd doesn't know you. So you got to do these jokes that are like, okay, this guy's funny. Now we'll allow him to do other stuff. It's like some icebreakers. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to do a joke. I'll, I'll probably still do it every now and again, which is like, I didn't, ha- I don't have any black friends and you can't. Uh, which I do because of com- basically because of comedy. Um, uh, we grew up in a really white, <laughs> really white atmosphere. <laughs> not it's not our fault. But anyway, yeah. that's a side note. But here, but like I'm like I don't have any black friends, uh, and it's weird. You can't just it be. It's weird to try to meet any new guy friends like when you're 30s, let alone like really trying to target black dudes like at a bar like at a bar like hey lebron huh you know yeah, like so like and you don't want to specifically target minorities <laughs> just so that you can <laughs> right. get more like street cred on that so issue. i'd be uh, so i'd be like uh i went on blackpeoplemeet.com <laughs> and then uh had that work out for and you <laughs> t- it turns out i didn't spell that correctly and then they're like oh but no, some people don't get that that's a wordplay joke that it's about the back to dicks, right, yeah. always back to dicks. And but I think I actually remember hearing that joke yeah. in one of your sets. That yeah, it's, it's it's a little corny. I like wordplay. I like puns. I like stuff like that. And actually, it's a good gauge to see where the audience is at. Sometimes you do these kind of conditional logic jokes where you're like, all right, if they get this, this is going to be sweet. If they don't get this, this is going to be rough. And I'm going to have to dip into the crowd and really get them up. Uh, so, so, like, people wouldn't be paying attention – and then they'd hear something about uh, black dudes, but they didn't really. And sometimes if I'm drinking, I'll sound more Southern for whatever reason. I'll, but I say y'all. So that's another trigger word that people think I'm really Southern when I'm not. Um, I just like contractions. And <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to the last episode, we talked about that a little bit. But uh, it's that thing of like they only heard me say black people. And then it's like, oh, well you're not funny or something like that they're not even pay- they're getting mad yeah they tune you out and but then you, but you i feel like in comedy you have like a special form in a sense because people are expecting to go there and be offended in some way and so it makes it more th- op- oh really you think so i, I think so <laughs> yeah. I, I mean maybe you're giving maybe too much is, credit to yeah, the audience that's possible uh, my know. crowds are free ticket crowds yeah. those are the ones that you get called <laughs> about right, the comedy yeah, club's yeah, yeah. like hey you won free tickets it's like they they're basically saying hey Get your ass in the seat and buy a bunch of drinks uh, because that's how we make money. Right. <laughs> yeah, which makes makes sense. I understand why they do that, but I, I don't know, man. I mean, when you talk about censorship and PR culture, uh, I, again, I think you guys have a very unique setting in the comedy business, and the fact that you get pushed back in there I think is probably pretty indicative of the way that our society is going if you want to go off on that tangent. No, I mean, <laughs> I no, but you know how I am. Like, I'm like, challenge me. Like, I, I'll talk to a crowd, someone in the crowd. I'm like, you're not going to beat me in this argument about like, 
I'll break I'll break down this whole joke until it's so unfunny to the crowd <laughs> in front of you that like I'll just debate it because I don't know I feel like I'm always ready for that part but heckler uh, it won't be a heckler just I can see them on their phone or I can see the disgust on their face but the, I know they haven't paid attention right so it's like it, there's that part comedy is great because I, I it is very cathartic in that way too. Like if I need to get up and get therapy, that's what I can. I can go bitch about everything. That's your spot. Yeah, yeah. I can go to an open mic any night and just go in the Tampa Bay area. When I was in L.A., you can go to three in a night. You know, um, but like, I can get that off my chest, and I feel like that people are trying to kind of cr- like police that uh, what you can say and can't say on stage. And the the line's always been like uh, context. So there's racist jokes, right? But there's or there's jokes with race in them about right. race, right? So like that's my that's always my kind of uh line is like was he angry? Was the tone angry? Yeah, I think Was it funny? Intent, <laughs> that's the other part. It means a lot for sure and I think I mean when we grew up, I remember Chris Rock, like his yeah. uh, was it bigger black bigger and blacker uh-huh. whatever his yeah, that's yeah. that set was back in the 90s was like the I think probably the first stand-up routine that i had seen that addressed race and then we get into the dave Chappelle era right and that basically i don't to me i mean i i think that comedy about race is topical and it's in a sense i think it kind of improves everybody's understanding of each other and it humanizes everyone yeah yeah it it's man it, it's that thing of kid gloves for everything and it's like no con- like th- th- at that level for chris rock and dave Chappelle, they're talking about like cr- like very they're like philosophers to me almost you know in a sense because they're really pointing a mirror at what's really going on right but they're doing it in a concise and entertaining way right so like when it's like sprinkle some crack on them like it's like (laughs) (laughs) i saw a baby who just popped out (laughs) said hey man uh but like um when they're they're really talking about what's going on and if you deconstruct jokes it's sometimes like i'll go all right this is something funny i said we were hanging out at lunch, and then I was like, what am I really trying to say? What's the overall arching theme? And if you watch Chris Rock, he's he's always – he's uh, and he's open about it. He does it like a preacher. He'll say, he'll say almost the theme to this chunk of bits, basically, and then, like, he'll say it, like, four or five times. You know, like, women be shopping. Women be <laughs> shopping or something like that. I don't even know if that's it uh, from his. I can't remember, but it was like – He'll say it four or five times. That's what preachers do. That's what advertisers do too. We've been talking about a lot about advertising for, for your firm. Hillsborough Defense. Yeah. Hillsborough Defense. Hillsborough like, Defense. And it, it 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 is that thing of like tell them once, tell them a second time, tell them the third, whatever that quote that business quote is for advertising. But there is that thing of like you'll notice if you watch preachers or you watch, um, uh, anything that's like. Chris Rock or preachers this is all I can really think about. Tony Robbins, probably another thing that they will say the same, the exact same thing, the same way multiple times because it drills it in your head. So like I was like, I told you when we started working, I was like, everything you do well is a marketing opportunity. Right. And I'm going to keep saying it. I say it to you to say it to myself because I'm bad at it with us. But, um, but I had a boss that drilled that in my head. Anyway, we're getting down that road. Uh, I won't, We were kind of talking about, and I, I saw comments on Facebook last night. Um, 
So Jameis Winston goes into, uh, and we'll keep it. You don't have you don't have to go too in depth with this because I know this this could also be a weird PR territory for you. But uh, Jameis Winston goes into like um, an elementary school uh, in St. Pete. I think. Yeah, it was St. Pete. Uh, and basically is like, oh, what's up? Um, Here's where chicks should be. Um, what, what, I don't. I gotta pull up. Uh, he said something to the effect of, and he was apparently he was doing it in the context of trying to relate to some some young boys in the audience that maybe weren't paying attention, and he was trying to get them fired up. And then he kind of went into this off the cuff. You know, boys are supposed to be strong. You're gonna have a deep voice one day. Be manly like me. And then girls, you know, are kind of expected to be. I think he used the word silent, which was a problem. And, you know, more more polite, which I think is probably generally true that women in general are more polite. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that. But I'll say, uh, yeah. But and, and I, why would you? Yeah. And, and J, well, that's like, think, oh, black dudes have bigger dicks. Yeah. <laughs> which is. Yeah. I mean, that's not yeah, not not that I have any knowledge of that. I personally. do. <laughs> of course. you do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, if you look at what James said, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a good. It's a good teachable moment, right? For mm-hmm. not just for Jameis, but maybe for everybody about gender roles and how you know how complex that has become as an issue that we're trying to address currently. But you know, for Jameis's purpose, I mean, you know, the kid's a 23-year-old quarterback. It di- when you listen to the video, I don't think there was any negative intent on his part, and that's something we talked about earlier. When you say something, what's your intent behind it? It maybe it reveals Jameis's subconscious belief of what you know, women are supposed to be in society. Good call. Which, you know, at that point, it certainly is something that Jameis maybe should understand a little bit better. And maybe he should, maybe this is a good moment for him to reevaluate whether that's the way things should actually be. Does he actually think that if he really sat down and thought about it constructively? Probably not. I don't think he would really come to that conclusion if you gave him the opportunity and posed that question to him. But I get why people are mad I think that maybe there's a little bit too much blowback on Jameis as a person rather than, you know, focusing on the issue at, of, of, of just gender roles as it is in society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it definitely I definitely have to remind myself, hey, go watch the video. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. If you if you see like, just the headline, it's like Jameis tells girls to sit down and be quiet And I mean, kind of. I mean, kind of. But yeah, right, but he right. was when he tells the girls to stay seated. He says, "I want all my boys to stand up because he wanted to address the boys." I don't think there's anything in and of itself wrong with wanting to address the boys in the room as a whole, as a group. Which right, is, which was his reason for saying, "Boys, stand up. Girls, stay seated." It wasn't like, "Girls, you don't ever get to talk. You should always be quiet. So sit down right now." And then he kind of dovetailed into that, maybe. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't know if I'm sounding like too much of an no, apologist for n- him right now. But no, I mean. Uh, like I know you're a big football fan, but I know you you draw a line when it's it's clearly kind of not not acceptable. It, yeah. No, I I think like Ray Rice look. bad, Joe Mixon <laughs> bad, like all that's very clearly bad. Dante Stallworth bad. Right. <laughs> it, there's there's a lot of there's been a lot of bad uh, antics in the NFL and people who have committed crimes. And, and you're not ex- saying it was ex- good. You're just saying that like it's a Freudian slip. And maybe I I said like. He needs to take some improv classes because he really right. <laughs> like I mean, if, and if you think about, I it, walk into a, I walk in to do stand up or, or speech. I can I can do it with no notes and walk in because I've had a bunch of reps 
doing that kind of public speaking. Yeah, and, and if I went into football practice to throw forty yard outs to Mike Evans uh, that are grossly uh, out of range, but he'll still catch them, that's gonna be like, yeah, I can't do that shit. Yeah, and and I mean everybody probably ever. <laughs> and, and I mean my my whole job is to is to you know make sure what I'm saying is intelligent and it makes sense. Like yeah. that's basically the fundamental purpose of my job. That's what I'm that's what I've been trained to do and I still say stupid shit sometimes. Right? So for Jameis, I don't think this is the last time he's going to say something stupid that people take offense to. Yeah. It's going to continue to happen, but he's, you know, hopefully he grows from it and hopefully, you know, we as a society aren't necessarily oversensitive and we don't have expectations for him that he's not going to be able to meet yeah it, it he's a polarizing figure as it is obviously just sucks. He's, already, <laughs> he's like in a tampa bay jersey and it's like we yeah. don't have the, we as a just area does it, we need a pr person <laughs> we do uh, a little bit so that doesn't bode well uh yeah. f- around the rest of the country i mean are you saying that we don't have a great reputation to begin with it's florida more than it is the bay area i think i think everybody that i've had come here is like oh oh I mean, there's Flor- not there's not dudes just fucking dogs everywhere like there's <laughs> uh, oh it's not like uh fucking uh a prison peninsula or something like that i'm like yeah i wouldn't fucking why would you think i would live here if it was fucking that i like the amount of crazy we're in ebor city which is like the the, the bourbon street of, yeah it's the epicenter ish. of like drunken debauchery in tampa pretty but much. i i like i like being around chaos I, I love following the chaos with the aforementioned Milo Yiannopoulos um, and how that was kind of really plan sabotage on him a little bit. Somewhat. I would Not even somewhat, I, I, I guess. I, now, I'm thinking about it. I, I, there's I know, emails I to media that's like, we're going to do this Sunday night, so Monday morning it's going to hit the press. And was, they got him at his peak on Bill Maher. Was Bill Maher in on that? No. Okay, because he, I, I, I saw some snippet about how he was almost, in some sense, taking credit for exposing Milo, but I, and mm. I don't know, I, I enjoy watching Bill Maher. I don't agree with everything he says, but I, I don't know if he's just trying to take credit for something that he didn't. I don't agree with most things Bill Maher says, but I do like his show, and, and I will watch that other side. Not to hate it, I just want to know, and not that I'm on the right or anything. I just, I don't like either team. Um, basically, <laughs> I, I hate both sides. You're, you're of the an equal opportunity hater. Yeah, uh, and I don't libertarian parties even. I I, I don't even want to say I I fall into that because they're starting to get their own kind of weird sh- shit going on. Like, uh, I'll make decisions on just r- what's rational, what's not. Right. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't need to belong to any group to do that. That's been my belief. And so, like, um, when I I watch Mar. I don't really agree with a lot of it. Even the structure of the show, it's always one shitty Republican guy in the panel. That, they Sometimes they have multiple conservatives on at the same time, but it's really it, it, occasionally it's usually like like they typically will have like they'll try to get some sort of like conservative politician. And then every once in a while, they'll in addition to that, they'll also have like a conservative writer on there too, or a journalist. Really? Um, but I mean, it's it's probably more few and far between I'm at this that, point. That's yeah, like in, 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 the, in, in whoever, two episodes out of a year, maybe. Ma- maybe so, but they, I mean, definitely the people that you know, the conservatives that go on there, I think you know should be should be given credit for for going up there and taking the punches because anytime you know, anytime 
oh, Southern oh, dandy a, guy. Yeah, anytime that a, was on there. Anytime a left-leaning liberal point is made, the entire audience just goes crazy, right. and then the the right-leaning conservative will open his mouth or her mouth, and then the audience will just boo. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and again, I I don't I'll watch like uh, I don't watch I don't seek out the that Tommy. Uh, uh, anchor her show. What um, like last point with Tommy or whatever. Oh, that it is. blonde chick that's kind of yeah become famous in the last year. I don't seek her out, but I'll watch it just to see what the perspective is. I think that's going back to comedy. I think that's what I really gained out of like watching ten years of comedians and like I don't agree with Bill Burr on everything, but he's hilarious. You know, his angle is is his perspective is what makes it funny. Right. Uh, when it's when it's kind of journalism and it's politicians, that's it's not supposed to be funny. And the perspective now is like, is this rational? That's always what I'm kind of asking. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that my 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 political views have probably been formed by John Stewart's perspective more than anybody else's. Sure. So he's I, I miss him. Because because <laughs> he should come back. And I th- I've told people like with doing this job as a, like a consultant and we have like a consulting firm agency, digital agency. I don't know what we call ourselves, but like I, I have so many people that tell me so much stuff up front cause I, they know I do stand up. that like, it'll be weird. We'll get into like a really like stuff. They, they're like, uh, I don't know why I just told you all that. Like I hear that a lot in like a first meeting with a lot of people. And I think there's some just uh, like uh, uh, something authentic or genuine about John Stewart because he was a comic, that you go, okay, I, I, I trust him more than something that's buttoned up and robotic and right. like, almost feels like an AI kind of like a news anchor. But you with know? your point, if there's reason behind it, you can get on board with it. I feel like the points that he made always seemed, they always connected with me as being reasonable and logical and they made a hell of a lot of sense. Right, right. Well, how about this? Let's... Let's get off of this politics side because uh, you want to keep going about no, this I'm for not, another hour or two. I'm not very educated. <laughs> I don't do any political humor on stage because I'm not educated enough, and I don't have like opinions that I've really thought through about politicians or anything. So I I try to get away from that. I have opinions, but I don't think they're educated opinions. I think the new thing for me is to say like I don't know enough about that subject, so I'm not gonna give an opinion right that's yeah. gonna be the new hipster thing I, to do. I, I do that too on some stuff but i don't know we can we can definitely move on to something that we when know i did the gmat too. it was like not not <laughs> sufficient enough information was right. always an answer and i'm yeah. like i feel like put uh, that one every single choose time. d yeah, yeah. <laughs> except uh that means you're underprepared for the gmat um what's it called so all right so duis uh let's talk duis in in tampa in florida what and I'm sure you've had this conversation a billion times, but what should people do? Let's do this. What should people do? I guess you can't, we're not going to give legal advice, so we're not going to do that. Um, what can you talk, I guess, what can you can you talk about in the DUI area? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably more open to, to discussing different scenarios people might find themselves in and whether, you know, I don't, I don't consider it legal advice, but just based on my experience and what I've seen. So I'll give a disclaimer right now. It's like, hey, this is not this is, this this is, is a comedic yeah. podcast. This is not a legal advice podcast. I am not any of your lawyers yet. No, right. We can, we can work on that one day, but not right now. Yeah. Uh, when Steve Fantetti comes on, he, he, he wrote his own weird long disclaimer and he, he reads it on it. I might put it ahead of this uh, in the intro. So um, his disclaimer, I'll just nice. read his out. <laughs> there you go. Um, but it's like, an e- like 
we were talking about this like does email disclaimers do they do anything i don't know Probably but not. we're gonna do it we're gonna put it out there just because why not protect yourself with that uh so let's throw some scenarios um uh you want me to throw one out or you got you I got think, some so there, there's a couple of questions that i think i get a lot and that's you know the first one is always do you blow or do you not blow and that's it's it is a loaded question and it's not one that i can answer up front what i can tell you for sure is that if you've never been arrested for a dui before you've got the option to refuse to provide a breath test without facing any additional criminal sanctions um the kind of drawback to it is let's say you're arrested for a dui they take you down to the station you're faced with a choice you either blow and if you're above a 0.08 you get a six-month driver's license suspension if you refuse to provide a breath test, you get a 12-month license suspension. So when you're in that moment, the officer is basically telling you, if you don't blow, we're going to double your suspension. That's, of course, assuming that you're above a .08 to begin with, okay. which nobody is necessarily – I mean, there's definitely people that know they're well above that limit when they get to the station. But there's a lot of people that only have a couple drinks, and they have no idea what their BAC is. So – you know, from my perspective, I'd only deal with stuff after the fact 99.9% .9 of the time unless I get a call during an investigation. But, you know, you're looking at a situation where somebody in that moment does not know what their BAC is. As an attorney, I would much rather see somebody blow below a .08 and deal with that case as opposed to refusing. Right. So if you're kind of close and, and, you know, having a, a gauge for whether you're close is kind of the initial problem to begin with. But, I mean, if you're going to – if you d didn't have a lot of drinks, if you only had two drinks, I mean – it might be in your best interest to blow. It depends on your weight. It depends on your met metabolic rate. And I can't answer that question specifically for anybody. But if you're if you're drunk, like if you were straight up drunk and you have never refused a breath, blood, or urine test before in your life, and you know you're drunk, go ahead and refuse. Yeah, it's going to work out better for you. Right. The, the caveat that I'm throwing in there about if you, as long as you never refuse something before, the reason that you can't, that attorneys can't just give blanket advice to say you know, you should just refuse all tests at all times is because if you've refused once in your past and you do it a second time, it's a crime. Uh -huh. And so if I said everybody should refuse, then I would be advising some people out there to commit a crime, which would get me disbarred. And I'm definitely not doing that. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so I don't know if that caveat makes sense, but ultimately, you know, from, it's definitely easier to deal, um, to deal with a refusal case than it is a case that has a high breath alcohol content. I can tell you that with confidence. Okay. Um, you know, so the, the blower refusal question to me depends on how, how impaired you think you are. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So let's get, <laughs> let's, let's add more judgment. Let's add more like kind of critical analysis while you're fucked up and pulled over. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're, we're, we're asking you to make some really, really, uh, you know, critical so, thinking type decisions when you're already in that situation to begin with. So uh, let's talk about this because you, I'm learning a, a lot about your area as we're working together and it's kind of like, um, you know, I didn't realize how quick you got to turn around and find an attorney yeah so when you get arrested for, for criminal too you told me for yeah for both so you, you do both right and, and when you with with duis specifically and criminal there's i mean ultimately you know the minute you're arrested it makes a hell of a lot of sense if you can afford an attorney go get one right you know we we can step in and we can you know take proactive measures to try to protect your rights and you know we can get started early on in the investigative process to to try to minimize whatever damage is coming 
um, turning back specifically to DUIs, what most people don't realize until you're in that situation is that when you get arrested for a DUI, you've got two different distinct legal proceedings. You've got the criminal case, um, which most people consider and think about where you've, you know, you have the state attorney's office prosecuting you for a crime. Um, you know, we go in front of a judge and, you know, we're either asking the judge to dismiss your case or we work something out or we try it. Uh-huh. What a lot of people don't understand is that when you are given a DUI citation, you've got that, that distinct legal proceeding with the Department of Motor Vehicles where you have 10 days to decide what the hell you want to do with your license and you have to address that within 10 days. So it puts a lot of urgency on people to hire an attorney soon so you can you know we can help you make that decision and do what's right for you in terms of trying to protect your ability to drive okay so um because you you know it happens people do get duis as much as you don't want them to you i mean you philosophically do not want people in this area to get duis right you've no, told no. me that we've yeah. talked about like you know hey maybe we work with uber or lyft or something or whatever the ride share to reduce it uh which is kind of almost an anti-angle um, yeah, but, I mean, right. But it, I mean, like overall, you grew up here. You don't want to see this stuff happening. Yeah, I, I drive on the roads too. <laughs> right. You know, and right. I and I've got a I've got a wife and a two year old, and that are in the car with me, or, or she's driving him around, and I don't I don't want drunk people on the roads. Right. You know, but at the same time, you know, with my job and my business and what I do, you know, my 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 role is to help people work through that system if they find themselves themselves in that situation, and I can tell you. DUIs affect every single socioeconomic class that we have in our community. You know, really? the, the richest of the rich, the poorest of the poor, everything in between. You know, everybody, I mean, people drink, you know, whether they're poor or they've got money, alcohol, you know, people like it. Sometimes it's a problem for people. Usually if you're right. arrested for a DUI at that point, there's at least a legal problem. <laughs> but, right, right, right. You know, I mean, I think realistically it's going to it's gonna touch pretty much, you know, everybody well, in what, a sense. What's the um – I'm always interested on stats of this, this stuff. What's if I, I think I was looking it up the other day, but you tell me, uh, ballpark, if you get one DUI, what's the likelihood you're going to get a second one? It's higher than I thought. The recidivism rate, I actually don't know. I don't have that answer off the top of my head. I can tell you. I mean, I can give you some information, some general information on if you if you get a first time DUI, like locally in Hillsborough County, what you know, what your chances are in general of sure. beating the DUI charge, um, you know, typically. And, it and that's of, that's just that's public info, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's actually my to kind of give a shout out to my my former partner, Sam Harden. He developed a uh, what up, Sam? Yeah, <laughs> he developed um, uh, some software that basically went through the clerk system and pulled information on every DUI case for the last like five years. Um, really? And, yeah. And so it's it's it gives you some interesting data and some statistics. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, what what he was able to, to show is that, you know, you've got if you if you handle a DUI on your own, you don't even have the public defender or an attorney. Chances of avoiding that conviction are I can't remember what the number is, but it's really, really, really low. If you end up with a public defender on a first time DUI, um, you know, your chances are of avoiding the conviction are between like 30 and 40 percent, I think. Uh-huh. And if you have a private attorney, it's closer to 50 percent. So there is a distinct difference in whether you have the public defender's office or have a private attorney for misdemeanor DUI cases in Hillsborough County. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, there can be a number of reasons behind that that, you know, we can we can try to extrapolate out. But at the end of the day, your odds are better if you do hire somebody, if you've got the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've run our numbers in the past, and I don't know that in this form I can reveal what my – what my no, results are no. based on Florida bar ethics and advertising. Yeah, I, so I'm I, not going to go there. We're, yeah, but. I, we're going to play it very conservative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Because they're going to be like, what's a podcast? Yeah, yeah. First. Yeah. Oh, they, <laughs> they just figured out what Facebook is. Right, so, right. And, and, and nothing nothing against you, Florida Bar. We we love you. but No, no, call a, us up. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll walk you through everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, our yeah. number is 813-433-0403. Florida Bar, you can call me up. I'll explain all this <laughs> stuff to you. Nice. Yeah, I'll plug myself. Um, but I feel like, um, you know, do you feel like – this will be all right. Do you feel like we're gonna have more rideshare systems in like the near future? Maybe it's not gonna be like maybe I, your kids, our kids' lifetime. Uh, yeah, you well, know, it'll be self-driving cars. It'll be a lot more rideshare. Right. It'll be. I think you're right about that. I think I think technology is is going to impact you know the how we move about. You know whether that's through you know automated vehicles, ride sharing. I mean, at some point, it's gonna make more economic sense to just do ride sharing than it is to own your own car i i hope i kind of hope we get there because uh i i talk about this on stage tampa bay's number 18th in population and we're top five in like traffic yeah and we have a terrible and that's public transport system it makes me irate it does um but anytime somebody throws out a proposal and this is maybe going off on a tangent that we can go off no this is a tangent highway man this is what that the podcast should be called really if somebody proposes that we should do like light rail everybody's up in arms about how that's a waste of money if somebody proposes that crazy if somebody proposes that we do you know expand a highway everybody's up in arms over how we pay for it or that it's only or if we say you know what we, we'll just do what's that the bit i do is about like hey i'm gonna fix two problems one we legalize weed tax get all the tax hey. money don't spread that tax money across a bunch of yeah. shit i don't want it to go to schools i don't want it to go to a bunch of anything else i just want it to go to transit i want it to go to a fucking light rail in this area and i want it to go to a high-speed bullet train from tampa to orlando to miami back to tampa yeah we call it the steamroller yeah <laughs> and the train and, that we'd build yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that'd be that'd be fantastic if we could actually pull that off i don't know where that cut off but we're we're back uh probably only a minute off or something like that but hey guys we were just bitching about other cities traffic yeah. well bitching about our traffic and how it relative to other cities but it's, I, it's I had to delete man. a lot of a lot of porn uh, call me old school. I don't do the streaming thing. I keep yeah. it on the desktop, and there you, go. you know, sometimes I got to make room on this MacBook while we're recording. <laughs> um, so, like, what do you? Um, I guess as far as Tampa, and um, I, I know we've talked about kind of bigger ambitions and stuff. I oh, here's what I want to ask because I we we work with a lot of uh, let's say small law firms and younger attorneys, right? Right. And I've told you, and this is one of those things I'll keep repeating that on my side, you're a business, you're a businessman first and kind of lawyer second now. They're both really important. Right, of course. But you have to, or they're equal to, at some measure, I know that hurts as like, as a uh, as a lawyer, you never want to say that. You'll never say that. I get it. Yeah, but, but, but realistically, you're right. You have to be good at both. You have to focus on both. And I think when most young attorneys start a practice, they spend more time on the business end of it, it at first because we know we know the law. The legal stuff comes easy to us. It's the setting up the business, getting new clients, you know, just scheduling all of the operational stuff is what becomes the big challenge. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a, right. it is a massive challenge. It's a massive undertaking. You know, I've made mistakes. I've learned from them. Um, you know, I'm in a good situation now. And you know, if you as long as when you get to the point where you are confident in your your client base and your workflow and business coming in the door 
it allows you to kind of you know relax a little bit and mm-hmm. focus more on the on the legal work um, you know as you develop a staff and have people that can can help you out and assist you in doing what you need to do yeah it um, you know and luckily when you started you had a partner that did do a lot of technical stuff too right um, you know and partnerships are tough we've talked about it I had a partner as well and it just it's it's really tough to do a 50 50 split yeah and I w- I was hosting this or emceeing and uh, at this thing fuck up nights where people get up and they talk about how they fucked up and everybody on the panel was like they're all older entrepreneurs they've been through it for 30 40 years and they're all like yeah yeah someone's telling one of the guys was telling a story and then all of them were like, oh, yeah, yeah, 50-50 partnerships. They just they don't work out. And yeah, I and, like, and I think no matter what, what business it is, I mean, if you're doing a 50-50 partnership, at some point, one of the two partners is going to be generating more of the business. Right. It, it, there's just no way it can be evenly split you know, in perpetuity. So at some point that's going to cause financial friction, but there's always other, other things that go into it and, you know, what, what people want to do with their lives and you right. know your priorities. And there, there's a lot of factors that go into making a partnership work for sure. Yeah. And I was, I was green about it. You know, I did it with a friend and, you know, without getting too much in the weeds about it, there was things that maybe I, I definitely should have taken care of in the beginning um, where it was really delegated out. Like, here's what these roles need to be and here's what the track needs to be instead of being like, we just got to get business in. We, right. You know, if I just took a day to do that, that would that could have gone a long way. I feel like we're better now, no offense to him, but I that I have the agility to do what we need to do. Yeah, and, and I think that as a as a business owner, you you want to make sure that you do have that agility and that freedom to make the decisions that you want to make that you think are best for your business and for your future. And that's the other complicating part about a partnership is you're not going to see eye to eye on everything. Right. And, you know, you obviously you want to, and in some respects it's good because it can kind of check against some of your like worst sure. instincts. Yes. But, you know, at the same time, I do think that if you have more faith in what you're doing, more confidence in what you're doing, it will, you know, it'll help in the future for sure. So let's give out some practical advice for maybe some younger law firms um, on that like operation side. Cause I like giving like, I don't like the like Tim Ferriss advice. I don't like like this, you know, uh, just believe in yourself every day and it'll work out. Like yeah. I don't like that shit. No, 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 no. So like practice management software. Do you what are you? Yeah. Doing? So I, I use Clio for practice management software, and it's something that I didn't need to do at first. Um, when I first started my practice, it was actually before Sam and I had partnered up. I was about a year and a half on my own before he and I got together, and you know th- that first. The first six months, I mean, if you get through the first six months, then that's when I think the fear kind of subsides a little bit or it starts subsiding. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the first like 12 to 18 months is when you're like, okay, I'm actually going to be able to do this. But, (laughs) you know, the what what's scary is like when you start your own practice, you know, at least like me, I came from the state attorney's office where I was a prosecutor in the state of Florida, quote unquote, was my client. Right. Right. So I didn't have a client. Right. I didn't have I didn't have anything. I was just like, I'm going to go out there and get clients. And then you're but but how, you know, and I, and I had a situation with an attorney in Pinellas that he's my mentor and he the guy is awesome. And he was very helpful in, you know, referring me cases that he didn't want a piece of, whether it was something smaller, whether it was in a different jurisdiction that he didn't want to go to. And so that was a good thing for me. But, you know, you've got to have a plan as to how you are going to attract clients whether that's through your partnerships with other attorneys in the community um, or, or you have some other sort of actionable marketing plan that'll work. But for an actionable marketing plan, you've got to have money. 
And when you don't have clients, it's hard to have revenue. Right. So, you know, cost control, overhead's obviously important, but then just having an ability to bring in clients. And in criminal, I mean, cash flow is a big issue too, like with what I do and with like family. Why is that? Well, so <laughs> yeah, cash flow can be a problem for businesses. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, there. But I'm, so, I'm talking right. about the clients. So, like. for, so for us, <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, here, it, the point I was, and I get what you're going with it, is that sometimes maybe people don't pay their bills all the time, but typically in criminal law, you know, you'll get quoted a flat fee up front by attorneys. A lot of attorneys these days are willing to do payment plans. Um, I do on some bigger cases. I don't necessarily do payment plans on, on small stuff anymore, but, sure. um, you and know, you figure out what the, what I do payment plans too, for a lot of like people are starting up and I get cash. I empathize with the cash flow stuff, but when I do that now, I, I never did a VIG on it. And now I, I start to just because you get burned. Right. And so it's just like, yeah, and it, yeah and I have happens. to charge more I mean, I, and overall. I, you know, there's there's clients I'll never forget. because And, it, and it, it might even be small amounts that they owed me, but the way that they, I feel like they almost swindled me in a sense. Like yep. it, it sticks with you. So you, I mean, you make, you learn from your mistakes, but you know, for, for my business in like criminal defense, um, you know, cash flow, you usually get paid up front. And so right. the, the, as you're starting off, you sign up your first client, you usually have revenue in the door that goes along with that. Right. You know, if alternatively, I mean, we have mutual friends that are, you know, that do injury work. Right. You don't get paid until the case is over with. And, and that, it can be that, contingent. Yeah. And, and it, it typically is almost exclusively a contingency fee and it's paid on the back end when the case settles. It can take a couple months. It can take a couple of years depending on the case. And so when you're in that type of, you know, practice area, if you're going to start your own law practice, you've got to know, you know, are you a cash flow upfront type of mm -hmm. operation or is mm -hmm. it something where it's contingency fee and you need to be able to float yourself and, and your, your house overhead and your personal overhead for a hell of a lot longer. Yeah. And I think that's an important, one important part when you're really starting out, maybe you're just getting out of law school or maybe you're just a couple of years in is um, knowing which area you want to focus on in respect to cash flow. So if you do family law, some of those cases can take a year yeah, or longer. And in a lot of family law, what I've learned about that, I'm working with an attorney now too that does a lot of family law. And, uh, you know, he's they get retainers up front and then they bill off that retainer until it's depleted and then you they get another deposit. So cash flow for family law isn't usually a big issue either because it's all up front, which is a, can, a good thing from a business perspective. Yeah, but I mean, it can be a it can be a, a bigger time suck sometimes. I, oh I, yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about that. To me, that's like I, I I put everything for us. I put like singles, doubles, triples, home runs, right. right? So we have a couple we have a couple prospects like four in the hopper that I'd consider home runs. Like right. We'd have to probably hire someone immediately full sure. time if that happened because we we do mostly pretty much independent contractors as much as we can because there's so many different variables and variations and people we need on different clients. So uh, I try to fit the right team together for the right client. But like um, I have like four of those home runs to me, a lot of the family lot or personal injuries, some of those bigger cases, those are home runs. You need the singles and doubles to keep the operation. But yeah, I guess you if you're on retainer on, on family, I guess I was thinking family is more contingent. Uh, families and I think I don't think you can even do I might be wrong about this I don't mm -hmm. think you can do contingency on family law cases but I th but it's not the norm yeah everybody anyway. that I know everybody that I know that does family law does it's like a billable hour model with a retainer up front so it, that's that's another area where you can get into and you're pretty much cash flow 
positive as soon as you get your first client, which can take time. But yeah, you know, so t- tell talk about that. You don't have to be specific yeah, to well, the person, be, yeah, and so, we'll get out of here because so, I think that first one is the so hard. So the, yeah, well, it, for me, and and I think you're right about that. And I, I mean, I know a ton of guys and girls that have started their own practice, and it takes a while, and, it, and there's a level of discomfort and anxiety that comes along with it. But for me, I quit my job at the state attorney's office. Um, last day was a Friday in Ju- like the end of July, 2012. And I had my first client on Monday and it was just totally random. Wow. And I thought like, this is great. I'm going to be that rich. Saturday and Sunday were like, ah! yeah, I'm going to be really rich really soon if this keeps up like that. And obviously <laughs> I, it was, I mean, it was just dumb luck. And, you know, the first month I did better than I thought I was going to do second month. I remember I had like 11 days. I'll never forget it. 11 days without a single phone call about anything, whether it was a new client oh, or, or a current client that hadn't just didn't get any phone calls. Yeah. And as that time wears on, man, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a definitely it tests your patience. It tests your confidence. And it's, it's an exercise that is uh, it's not necessarily fun to go through, but I think it makes you stronger as a business person down the road. It helps you deal with that stuff as, as you go forward. Yeah. Uh, l- let me see if I can do this and we'll close it on this. I'm going to see if I can give like a really quick ranty kind of uh, strategy for a lot of the, the young attorneys, because um, we're working with a lot now, and it, um, so I'm thinking about it, and I think I like I can improv strategy pretty well uh, for the marketing side and some operation stuff. I've shown you Slack. Right. Uh, when you scale up, that's going to be really useful as your communication hub. So there's stuff like that. I always think about our consulting firm. Our value is to raise revenue, also decrease operation. Uh, cost, which can be time uh, or duplicative tasks, stuff like that. Just frustrating shit, like right. a printer. Um, like, here, get this brother printer that's way better for what you need. Stuff like that where, like, your work-life balance is better, too. Hey, here's a babysitting agency. Here's, a you know, whatever you need. Here's our accountant. Here's whatever. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to try to go down, and I'm not going to give any secrets we're doing, but – I'll go through like, so a lot of people that start their own firm are pretty green. You really need to work from like a real estate uh, agent. The, they, what they are told in marketing is to work from your core out. So work for, a, it's a, it's a, it's social capital is the, is the geeky term in my industry. In the real estate industry, it's the uh, sphere of influence. Um, I've always called it the ripple effect. You have three rings, right? You have the the core ring is going to be your friends and family. The ring around that, friends of friends. And the ring around that are friends of friends of friends. Acquaintances. Sure. Uh, The fourth one, if you get there, is someone you don't know at all, no connection to you, but they hear about you through through other methods. A billboard. A billboard, right, right, right. right. No no direct connection. Uh, So – you need to think about that in that perspective because it's always going to start there. Uh, if you have no community in the, it where you are, or even if you do, you should you should proactively be involved. Uh, find a charity that makes sense that gets it uh, that you can donate a couple hours to helping them. I always we always talk about corporate s- social responsibility. Find that nonprofit that you can help out, but they get it. They're also going to give you something back. It's a transaction. Don't get it twisted. Uh, you're getting something out of it. They're getting something out of it. Don't feel like you're a shithead. <laughs> Although it does feel shitty to be like, hey, can I, can I post about this? Or can I talk about our wor- us working with you? No, it's fine. Most charities, nonprofits don't give they, – they're so welcoming a help from, from sane people and not just 
you know, volunteers for the day kind of thing that you, you and find something that makes sense. Don't I wouldn't do a national charity. I would find something that is a small business or a small nonprofit or charity locally that makes sense in your area. So like I was talking to I was talking to um uh, a car a car repair shop and i was like we should work with the women's battered sh- shelter and hook them up you can do some in-kind work for them for the cars they have or something like that we need we can work with that because that makes a lot of sense yeah for that sure. actually and that actually affects a little bit of change if they can walk up and their car is not a total piece of shit or they just feel better about having a not that big of a yeah. beater. I mean, yeah, and especially people like the the people that find themselves in that circumstance. I mean, the fact that somebody is going out of their way to do something nice for them, like free of charge, is I you, mean, sh- you should do it anyway. Yeah, as I a mean, human. Yeah, but I mean, tr- like truly, th- this is th- to me, it's more calculated on the business side, and it is that thing of like, yeah, businesses don't have a heart; they don't have to. It's it, it's totally fine, but you'll find out the more you put into the community you're in as a, as a starting attorney as a small law firm the more you're going to get out i push you to do a bni group i think that's valuable because it, you have to go every week right you just have to be there uh most and i <laughs> and i'm saying it with a smile just because <laughs> i and it, we, look it's we, corny talked about it a lot. no it's corny yeah, yeah. i get it but I, I i know it's corny i know it works though right. and i know like and i know and, and we've talked right about, it's I know, a time I know guys thing. that do it though, it's time and it works too. it's a time thing i get it it's it's hard to do everything right now but at some point, we will we will infuse that. But at at the same time, that is a way, a structured way, to talk to whatever twenty to fifty people every week, and it you may you may not get any ROI on that until month nine, month twelve. But I guarantee you'll you'll get a lot of resources out of it as far as like cost cutting or just your home life where you're like I don't have to look around for a fucking pest guy. I know a guy because I'd see him every Wednesday. So that's that's great right there. Uh, I'm, I'm going offline and then I'm going to go online. Offline, uh, a lot of networking groups are bullshit, so I, that's why I push B&I. Um, I want to do a young attorneys group for y'all in the area, and this is something I'm going to have to create, but since I do have so many of y'all in different sectors too, a lot of people don't know attorneys just don't do everything right yeah yeah no it's yeah the, I, the number of times that people even they just kind of raise their eyebrow when you say i practice a specific type of law right or i get questions about plenty of things that i haven't thought about since i took the bar exam almost eight years ago at this point it's yeah so so what i what i want to do in the same ilk of that b and i one but this is a little bit different and this is something we have to cultivate on your own but I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of value in getting about five or six of y'all. You meet once a month. You can trade notes about business, the business of running a small firm, because you're gonna, y'all are gonna have stuff that I don't know about. That's really insular to the, to the legal field, uh, about about running a business. But a lot of people don't realize law. A lot of law firms. Most of their most of their business comes in from other attorneys. Yeah, for sure. So you cultivate that relationship. Uh, I think if you do it now while y'all are young and it grows a little, uh, y'all grow older with it, where you keep a really tight knit group that's specified. um, Y'all just to bitch about stuff once a month. (laughs) There's uh, there's something to be said about that. It goes back to cathartic actions, right? So just somewhere to go. Hey, I was with this judge. 
blah 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 you know because you don't no one else is going to empathize with you i just want to put it make this very clear i never complain about judges <laughs> not you i was saying yeah, other, other, other lawyers other so lawyers are going to put you with yeah. um so, so i think there's something to be said i don't know i think we should try it uh, it's an idea i've been kicking around and i don't get anything out of it but i think it will help all of y'all together all right so let's go online clean up your your fucking linkedin profile uh, get listed on LinkedIn Profinder. Um, you need to have uh, you need to have a decent website. Doesn't have to be amazing, but if you're, you're smart, you do good content that comes uh, from your voice. Uh, just like this podcast, I'm gonna take some of this and we're gonna write some posts. I'm gonna extract some of the things I've been taking notes while we we're talking. Right. I'm gonna take some of that and we're gonna use that as as content. And, and if I mean, if there's any one lo- online thing that I would tell an attorney to do, at the very least, just claim your damn Abo profile. Yes. Like just just yes. claim it. Claim it. Claim it. Try to participate in it. It's one of those. A lot of attorneys resist doing it because, at the end of the day, Abo is kind of fluffy and there's a, a circle jerk type of environment in there. But clients care so much about what your, your rankings are on your there. online reviews if you're under a 4.4 on any online reviews it it dramatically decreases your ability to get leads right uh I, we're partnered with a company called bird eye uh i'm gonna get the stats out on that uh probably in another podcast but that that seemed to be the biggest metric for that that does matter that's the world we live in lawyers don't like it i get it i know you don't like it i don't i don't really like it either but Hey, that's that's if if something else comes along that's as important as reviews like that, we're gonna figure out how to do that too. But there's accountability with that. There's something to be said. So when you have a case, try to and your client had a good good time at the end of it. Try to get them to write a review. Yeah, You're still a salesman. That that follow up is important because it, it again it reaffirms you know on an online environment at least who you are and the job that you can do. A lot, and then I'll and then the other easy not easy but the other te- not it's not so difficult but just remember in that sphere of influence a lot of a lot of what you're doing is reminding people you're around uh reminding uh, uh, reminding that first ring and then that second ring friends of friends that you just exist as an attorney in the area there's uh, Tampa Bay is too saturated i don't know the other areas how how other cities are but i guarantee it's it's not it's not a profession that you can't just swing a dead cat and find one. So I'm <laughs> there saying are lots of us. So you have to remind people, hey, I'm around. I'm bad at this with us. Like people still don't know we do this. So uh, I gotta come up with a PR campaign in a different kind of way. But one easy thing to do, once a month, send an email blast. Send an email blast. Hey, we're around. Here's what we're doing. Um, have a reason. Figure out a reason to email everybody that you know. Through MailChimp, it's free up until 2,000 subscribers, and then uh, and just say, hey, the, this month is blah 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 month. It's always some kind of le- there's a legal something month for everything, um, and so this is DUI awareness month or something like that. You know, lawyer uh, appreciation. Well, month. March is coming up, so St. Patty's Day kind of makes sense. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But like you know, this is. Uh, have a try to you got to figure out reasons it's not easy but uh, or just say hey keep my card just one that says keep my card on you keep this email on you bookmark us whatever some reason or hey look what we did with this charity over here that kind of thing but remind people you're around uh and that goes a long way because like we talked about at the beginning frequency of people 
being reminded about you is kind of advertising. I mean, that's advertising, that's promotion, that's marketing. For sure. It's going to take a lot of times, like seven times, maybe seven to 12 times, I think, is before it may click that someone's like, oh, I know what you do. Even though you're, they're your friend. Everybody's got ADD. Everyone's an adult child. Uh, I can go on a 45 minute rant about this, but uh, we both got to go. Anything else? Uh, Not really. Hillsboroughdefense.com. Hillsboroughdefense. Yeah, just say it four times and then. Hillsboroughdefense.com. 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 Now we sound like the bad radio ads. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, we're keeping that in. All right, thanks for coming on, man. (laughs) See you, buddy.